Thank you, Howard, and the worship team. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I know it's a very windy day, so our sermon title is apropos in some sense. But I'm glad you guys got here safely. Like I said last week during our church family meeting, I'm going to be preaching through Ecclesiastes. So if you are a freshman of either high school and college, it will take me about four years to finish. So when you're a senior, you'll forget everything that I've said this morning. So vanity of vanity, says the preacher. <laughs> Passage for us this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. We'll start by reading the text for us. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, verse of oh, chapter one, verse twelve. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous this is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom, there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Lord, we come before you again to look at your word, to study your word. And we're humbled and the reminder that all that we pursue in life is absolutely worthless without you. Lord, may you recalibrate our hearts and minds as we look at this text, as we study through this book, that will make us understand the most important thing, and that is to love and to know you, Lord. Give us attentiveness today. Be with us now. Allow your word to soak in not just our minds, but in our hearts, so that the thing that we do each day will be pleasing to you. We praise you, and we thank you for this time. In your son's name, amen. I believe that there is a direct connection between being in this age of information and increase of people being depressed in the world. It's not simply because people are more open about their struggles with depression or, the, or because there is more medicine and understandings on this topic but it's because people are more aware of what's going on around them in the world. The more people know about the world, and especially the more mankind attempts to know the world without God, this will only lead to one end. That is misery. People can see the world and live life, but can't find purpose or reason. This world is filled with unadulterated sin. Secular humanists can't figure out why, if man is so good, and inherently good, why do they come up with such evil acts against one another? How can a non-Christian make sense of the world? The answer is they cannot. Life 
is miserable without God. The pursuit of knowledge without God is depressing. Part of the reason why people are medicating themselves because they want to dull the voice that's dull and silence what is written in their own hearts. To the non-Christian, nothing makes sense. Everything is random. And all in life is vain. Life without God is meaningless. The pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of degrees, the pursuit of understanding of the world is doubly so because people won't know why they need to learn or understand anything. Any type of studies for a non-Christian ultimately leads to nothing. It gets them nowhere, and all of their effort is worthless at the end. Christians, however, we can pursue knowledge and find joy because all that we learn in this life points us to God. I would argue that Christians should pursue and growing in their knowledge of the world because that's part of God's mandate over man to subdue creation. To have dominion over something, you must have a knowledge of it. You have to, you have, to have a mastery over it. In this, day of in, in this day of information, Christians must leverage this tool so we can be a better representative of Christ. Whether you read a book or an article, you listen to a podcast, you read a newspaper, watch the news or anything, you should consume these wisely and critically so that you can navigate through this life as a well-rounded, well-informed citizen of God. You want to be informed so you can navigate through life as a mature Christian. Solomon's thesis in this entire book is simple, that life without God is vain. In this particular section, Solomon is attempting to get people to understand that happiness cannot be found without God. And the pursuit of knowledge without God leads to emptiness. This book speaks of the vanity, futility, and emptiness of life. This book is like a sermon manuscript. This portion that we're going to go over today is just a small part of a larger sermon. As you walk through this book, this sermon, Solomon explains all these different areas of life, that it is vain, and only until chapter 12 we get the application. The application for this message and for every message in Ecclesiastes is this is that you need to fear the Lord. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. This verse gives us information on the writer, on the author. This preacher and teacher was king over all of Israel, and it has to be Solomon because he's the only king over the united monarchy of Israel. This is in some ways the true introduction of this entire book. You'll notice that this phrase have been king. This implication is that he is either reaching the end of his reign, or he's no longer king anymore, or he's reaching the end of his life in general. He calls himself preacher and teacher, and his hope is to teach his son all the things that he's learned in life. Being a king meant that he owns everything, and there was nothing that he has withheld from him. He had access to everything. Whatever he wanted, he was able to get He had complete access to anything, and he was not denied of anything because he was king. The crown jewel of Solomon's possession is not anything physical, but rather is his mind. 
Solomon received from the Lord the ability to discern and to know how to govern and rule over his people. First Kings chapter three verse nine states that Solomon wanted understand wanted a understanding heart so he could discern good and evil. And this book is written as a way for Solomon to teach his son all that he learned in life. Try to teach his son that all the pleasures in life and experiences is pointless without God. This section, Solomon speaks of the meaningless of meaninglessness of trying to obtain happiness or pleasure from acquiring knowledge without God. Solomon is trying to teach his son and us as well to guard our lives from from pleasure of trying to obtain by obtaining knowledge from the world without God. You cannot find happiness or purpose in strictly learning all there is to know about the world. If you want to find happiness in life, you must pursue knowledge with God at the center of it. Solomon warns the vanity of pursuing knowledge without God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Three types of knowledge in our life that are are vain without the Lord. If you try to pursue any of these type of knowledge, any type of field without the Lord, it is completely useless. The three types of knowledge that we're going to go over, the first is conceptual knowledge, the vanity of conceptual knowledge. Verse 13, you'll see a Solomon writes, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given the sons of men to be afflicted with. This is basically any idea, any type of concept any type of theory, something that you don't need to experience, but something that you can just learn independent of any particular experiences. Example would be like math. You, you understand how math works, so you don't have to experience it. Solomon here is saying that he attempted to reason, he tried to find the reason purpose of life through these concepts. All that the world thought of at the time, he thought of already. He spent his life pondering and dwelling and thinking through all of these things. In verse 13, the preacher informs the reader of his, of his task and his feeling towards this task. He went, to, he, he went to learn, to seek after things, to learn. He didn't just learn one field, but he spent his entire life all the time to learn all that there is to learn, and they were meaningless. Everything there is to learn under the heavens, he learned. Solomon set his mind to seek and to learn. It was not just a simply a passive or people just coming up to Solomon and teaching him. He actually sought it himself. He engaged with his mind, tried to learn all there is to know in life. Whatever Solomon learned, it was just a super it was not a superficial and surface level understanding of the subject. No, rather he study each field as much as possible and he learned everything there is to know on every particular field. He said it was a grievous task. There's something unique about humankind that we desire to grow in our knowledge. We are the only creatures that contemplates life. We are the only ones of God's creation to want to figure out the purpose of life. We are the only species in all of creation that not only wants to learn, but wants to chronicle all the things that we learn so that other people after us can learn it. People want to pass on the knowledge of what we've learned from one generation to the next. And this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Humankind seeks to grow in their knowledge. And the sad reality is that when we seek to increase knowledge or wisdom in our minds, it leads to heartache. 
You notice this phrase in verse 13, the sons of men to be afflicted with. The ESV translates it the children of man. In the original, this can also be translated children of Adam. And I think this is a direct reference to Adam and Eve who attempted to pursue knowledge without God. And when they did that, it led them into misery. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge means nothing without God. God has created us uniquely in that we are actually encouraged to grow in our knowledge about the world. We are made to try to answer questions in life. God created all things and to understand the world with God at the center would ultimately mean that we are pursuing to know Him more. When you understand how physics work, you will marvel at God's power in creation and how he put everything in a particular order. When you study the stars, the space, and the cosmos, you will begin to see how vast the universe is, and you will begin to marvel at how powerful our God is in speaking everything into existence. He made it all, and it's designed for us to discover so that we can marvel and worship God more. Isaiah 6.3 tells us the earth is filled with his glory. Psalm 104, verse 24, O Yahweh, how many are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. Solomon here is trying to inform his son that he tried to think of every worldly concept, every worldly theories, every worldly ideas without God, and he realized that it is vain. It is useless endeavor to attempt to think of any philosophical concept without God. Regardless how big or small the concept is, it is an affliction, exhausting, and tiresome task if you try to, to do it without God being in the center of it. You cannot expect to answer or deal with the world's biggest questions, ideas, and theories without God. Those questions, these life, life's biggest questions cannot be answered without God. If you attempt to do it, then you will be wasting your life because there's no true knowledge without him. The world tries to answer these three big questions. What is the point of life? Uh, why are we here? What happens after we die? All of life's biggest questions can only be solved through the word of God. We're called to pursue God and to know him more. The doctrine of incomprehensibility of God is a doctrine that, that tells us that God is so vast He's so great that our finite minds will never be fully able to comprehend all that there is to know about God. There's always something to learn about God. Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is Yahweh and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 139 verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Isaiah 40, verse 28, Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. There is always something new to learn about God. And there is then a danger in assuming that that you've already learned all there is to know. God is beyond us, yet we are still called to learn and to know him more daily. It is knowing him, not the concept of the world, that brings us happiness. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. How happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand the path of sinners, nor sit in delight of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, verse 2. 
It reads, how happy are those who observe his testimony, who seek him with all their hearts. I translate the word blessed and uh, to happy because they mean the same thing. That you can only find happiness when you pursue him through his word. The question is, how is your devotion to reading of God's word? It doesn't matter how much knowledge you acquire in life. You will never be satisfied unless you learn about him through his word. This is why I encourage people to go to Sunday school, go to the Bible studies, go to small groups, go to Christian conferences, go to anything that gives you an opportunity to learn more about God. Only in our knowledge of Him, which builds our relationship with Him, can we find true happiness. Without God, all pursuit of knowledge is vain. The only reason why you would not want to learn about God is that you may be of this world. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Perhaps the reason why you have no desire in reading your Bibles regularly is because you are spiritually appraised. Or for some of you, you have no desire in growing in the knowledge of God because you haven't even received Christ to begin with. Solomon says here that the pursuit of knowledge without God is vain. Scripture tells us that happiness begins not in pursuit of the concepts of the world, but only about God first. Don't waste your life learning about the things of the world. Rather, spend your time learning about who God is, who is the giver of life and truth. Once you know this God of truth, everything in the world will begin to make sense. But if you attempt to do anything or learn anything without God, it is a vain endeavor. God is truth, and all truth points to God. Not only is the pursuit of conceptual knowledge without God vain, but also there's vanity in experiential knowledge. That's our second point. Vanity in experiential knowledge, verse 14 to 15. This is basically knowledge you gain through experience. It's something that you can only learn once you try it. An example would be like a surgeon. In order for them to be a a good surgeon, they have to practice on on dummies or on different objects before they can do it on people. And even when they're working on people, their skill is getting better. That's why they call it a practice. They're always practicing. They're always trying to get better at it. For some people, they try to find meaning in these pursuits and the certain things in life, certain things that they could experience in life. Look at verse 14. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Solomon is saying that everything that is to, to, that is to be accomplished in this life is doomed to disappear. The reality of death is that, it gives, is that there's an end to all the, of our learning, to all the things that we can do in this life. You notice this phrase, chasing after the wind or striving after wind. This is a ridiculous pursuit. Earlier this morning when my wife was coming into church, we saw all these birds being blown by the wind or flying in all these different directions. Now imagine if my wife and I got out of the car and tried to catch that wind. It would look weird to see these two people running around the car trying to catch the wind. It is a useless pursuit. And even if we're able to catch it with our hands, eventually it will go away. We'll have nothing to show for. And Solomon is saying the same thing here. Solomon's endeavor to find meaning through different life experiences, he said, is a waste of time. He said it's like striving after the wind. At the end of the day, there's nothing to show for. No matter how much you accomplish in life, some things you cannot accomplish. 
Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. This is a short little proverb, and, and there are things in life which cannot satisfy. There is something fundamentally wrong and broken about our life. When sin entered into the world, sin invaded and corrupted every aspect of the world. This includes both the tangible and the intangible. Not only our works, but things that we see around us are broken, but not only those things, but our minds are broken as well. Every aspect and expression of life is broken. There are problems in the world that we cannot solve. Why? Because our minds are broken, because the world is broken. We want to grow in our knowledge, but we are limited by sin, by the effects of sin. Another way that the fall has broken the world is the way that we enjoy the world. Mankind was able to enjoy the garden in paradise before the fall. But when sin entered into it, man is no longer able to enjoy it the way it's supposed to. Had the fall not happened, Adam and Eve would have been able to experience eternal life and delight in the Lord for all of eternity. But because of the fall, we turn things of the world, things that were designed to bring us joy because it points us to God. Instead of worshiping God, we begin to worship the things of the world, begin to build idols of the things in this life. The pursuit of experience in this world without God is foolishness. Man-centered pursuits of pleasure in this life will only lead to disappointments. There's a thought from the world that attempts to make people think that in order to have a life, in order to have a full, to live a full life, you must experience or must go through certain experiences. In our day, it's easy to think that life is about the places that you go to, the food that you eat, or the materials that you possess. Those things aren't inherently bad, but if you only enjoy those things, especially without God, you will never be satisfied. If you have a wrong perspective of these experiences, you will always want more. This is why the world is never content. Because they can't enjoy these things, because these things ended. They don't know what these things are for. But as Christians, we're the only people who can enjoy them. Not only enjoy them, but enjoy them rightly. And it makes us delight in our God more. God created all things for us to enjoy so it can direct our hearts and minds to enjoy Him. You must see that the pleasure... The pleasurable experiences you have in this life is to point you to something greater. C.S. Lewis once said that the reason why we can't find love in the things of the world should point to us, to us that there is something greater that we need to love. We're designed for something more. The joys and experiences in this life are designed for you to know and love God more. And these pleasures, these experiences are designed for you to know God more than you did before you enjoyed these things. But if you end up loving the world more because of the experiences, then you miss the point. The point is not to experience life for the sake of experiencing life, but to experience life so that you can be a greater worshiper of God, so that you can have a greater delight in God, so that you can have a greater love for God. The pursuit of wanting to know these experiences in life without God is foolishness. Man-centered pursuit in life is vanity. But the pursuit of God as the center of your life gives these temporal things, these temporal pleasures with eternal significance. All that you experience in life can only make sense if you do all things for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. 
Christian, you must see that all the pleasurable experiences in this life are pointing you to something even more glorious. It should make you more holy. Solomon experienced all there is to experience in life. He did it without God. It only brought him pain. He couldn't find satisfaction, happiness, or purpose in all that he has experienced. So it is with you if you attempt to do anything without God. Solomon wants, to, wants his sons to learn from his mistakes. Don't waste your life in pursuing experiences in life without him. The vanity of pursuing experiential knowledge is that it is, it is a vain endeavor. Your experience in life in light of God must cause you to be holier because you understand that all good things are from him. You must remember how God gave you these things, these experiences, these trips, these foods. All of these things is on top of what he's already given you in Christ. And that should make you wonder, if God is so good to you, then why don't you devote more time to him? Devote more of your life to him. You should desire God more, not less. You should love God more, not less. You should delight in heaven and want to be with him more, not less. Not only can we find, not only can we not find purpose in the conceptual knowledge or the experiential knowledge, but lastly, there is vanity and explicit knowledge. Vanity and explicit knowledge, verse 16 to 18. This is just simply knowledge that you can acquire from books. Um, anything that's just basic facts of the world. Anything that someone can, has recorded and documented about the world so that others can glean some knowledge. Solomon is saying that he, that these knowledge of, that the world has come up with without God is vain. No matter how much of the world he knows about, no matter how much information that he's learned, it is all vain without God. Verse 16, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. Seems rather rather boastful or prideful that Solomon will say this, that he's acquired all knowledge. And for us, that seems like boasting, but in reality, it's not boasting if it's true. right? If, if Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, came up to you and said, hey, I am the fastest man in the world, I have these gold medals, I have these video footage, I have beaten everyone there is to beat on the 100-meter dash, he's not really boasting because he's, these are just facts. And that's what Solomon's doing here. He's just stating the reality He's saying that he has acquired all there is to know. Solomon claims that he has surpassed every other ruler before him, and it is true. And I would argue that the only other one that could surpass him is our Lord Jesus Christ when he reigns. You notice the phrase wisdom and knowledge. These two words are, are, are put next to each other to show emphasis. This will make you see that he knows everything. Not only knowledge, but wisdom. This is the skill set that comes with knowledge. Solomon not only knows the concept, but also has the skill. All the abilities he learned from things he's learned, he's able to do. The, the original idea for colleges and universities was designed so that whatever town that this university is in is supposed to be the pinnacle of man's achievements. All that there is to know, it would be found in a university. So whatever field, if this person was a department, head department of this particular field, he would be the one that knows everything there is to know about that. Solomon is saying that he received a doctorate in every subject known to man. There's nothing that he does not know. Verse 17, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this is also striving after the wind. 
Solomon set his mind to know both good and evil. He realizes that both are empty. He studied the best there is to know and the worst things. He realized that all is empty. Solomon obviously is not taught referring to the word of God because later on he tells his listener and his son to fear the Lord. So clearly the only other option is reading every other book that's written by man. Solomon is the most well-rounded student. He learned everything that there is to know. He even learned the useless things. In every extreme and everything in between, he learned it all. All the best that man has to offer, all the worst things that man has to offer, all, of the, all the knowledge he acquired, he found it all to be useless. Again, you see this phrase, striving after the wind. Again, it is a hilarious picture. I'm trying, I'm, I was thinking about maybe if I told my daughter, hey, go, go find the wind for me. Go, go outside and catch the wind. Again, it's not possible. It would be great for us because it gives us time to rest. It's a parenting tip. Find the wind. I'll give you a dollar after you catch it. Bring it to me. All that Solomon has learned is like that. It's, it's, it's useless. It goes away after a while. All Solomon learned got him nowhere. Verse 18, but in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increased pain. The ability that God gave him is both a gift and a curse. Solomon had the ability to understand everything, but what he learned about the world made it hard for him to live in the world. He saw how worldly ideas contradicted itself, and he kept learning, and it just caused him great pain. Solomon tried to understand the world based on the terms of the world, and it only caused him great grief. Have you ever watched a person having an abortion? When I was in high school, uh, before when I was younger, even before high school, I thought that babies came from a giant bird. And it wasn't until later on that I realized, no, no, birds don't bring babies to their parents. They actually come from the womb. And I remember this one particular chapel, this lady was trying to tell us, like, this is what goes on in the world, that there are people in the world that would take the life out of a mother for because they see it as choice. And I remember seeing this video, they just showed it on the screen, where like you see a head get ripped off, then the limbs, and then blood spewing all over the place. And I realized that man is not only capable of, well, of creating such an idea, but man is able to create atrocities and tools to affect the most innocent. And I remember that day that my innocence was lost, because the more I understood the world, that the world can be a very cruel place. It is a place that there's more people against you than it is for you. And this is what Solomon is trying to get at. The more he knew about the world, the more he dreaded living in the world. And the same thing goes for us. The more a person knows about life, the more dread they realize because we live in a fallen world. Solomon already said that learning about the world will lead to pain. So then why do we try to find happiness in, in, in books and literature that are outside of the Bible? You study medicine. These medicine books are always updating. And, and the medicine books doesn't always give you the answer. It just might give you some diagnosis, but it doesn't always give you solutions. If you read law books, if you try to say those things get updated over time, and eventually, even, even if those things were where permanent for a moment, there's always loopholes and evil can still run rampant. If you study any other religious book, you'll find that they're filled with errors and things that just tells you what you need to achieve, but you're unable to achieve it. 
If you study anything in life without Christ, it will be painful and meaningless. Solomon, in a sense, did the heavy lifting and the homework for you so that you don't have to waste your life in pursuing worthless ideas. It boils down to this one question. Do you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Do you believe that the Bible has everything that you need to live a life of godliness? Do you believe that the Bible has every answer for life? The problem is not learning, but the problem is learning without God. So we need to reorient our thinking. You need to have a, you have to learn in a fundamentally different way. All understanding comes from Him, and in the end, all knowledge leads to Him. Ecclesiastes is a book for believers to have the right balance about life. You learn about the world under the authority of Scripture. There's vanity in, in conceptual, experiential, and, ex, and explicit knowledge. And all these areas is useless without God. If you truly want to find meaning, you need to look no further than the Bible that you have. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is beginning, the beginning of wisdom. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's the fear of the Lord that's the only way that you'll find meaning in life. It is useless if you try to fear anything else. Unless you fear Him, everything in life is meaningless. You have to humbly acknowledge that you don't know everything that there is to know. You need to understand that there is a a depth to your ignorance. The most basic thing that you need to know about God is that He owns you. That He created you. He knit you in the womb. He made you with a purpose to enjoy Him. But because of our sin... We cast that out. And this is why Christ needed to come into the world. He came into the world not only to redeem our life, but to give us a future where we can pursue him. The life of the Christian in heaven is that we get to know him more for all of eternity. We could spend our time learning him, and each time we learn more and more about him, the more joy we will find. And this is my hope for all of you that are Christian, to look forward to that day. To, to look forward to the day where you can to be with God, you can dwell with God, you can commune with God, and you can know Him more. You can find your delight in knowing Him. But until then, continue to pursue Christ now. All of us before we're saved, we're like Nebuchadnezzar. We're like animals running around. Until Christ intervenes, intervenes into our life, we can't, we can't even reason life without God. The world doesn't make sense without Him. If you want to find meaning in life, if you, want to find, if you want to find purpose, you can't find it through concepts or experience or any knowledge of the world. It only begins through the fear of the Lord. For some of you today, you're seeking, you're always looking, but you're never finding because you're looking at the wrong place. You're trying to find happiness in your experience. You're trying to find happiness in the things that you read in the world. But look to Christ. Understand that through him, you could finally find purpose and meaning. Christ came into the world to die for us. All of us have sinned against him. Even the small sins, even the thoughts, all the idols in our hearts, each and every single one of them are a grave sin against the Lord. And if God chose to let us, with our, let us live our sin, he's going to judge us. He's going to punish us for our sins. But because he loved us, because he has pity for us, that he sent his son into the world 
to live that perfect life for us. Everything that Christ did, everything that he learned, it was out of the fear of the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was faithful to him. And he lived that perfect life. And not only was he obedience in life, but he was obedience in death as well. That he, he went to the cross for us. Died because that was God's plan for him. He died in our place, bearing the wrath of God so that we can know him. So that we can truly know who our God is. And Christ rose again three days later, signifying that one day if we place our faith in him, we too will have a resurrection, a a new body, a new mind where we can pursue him, where we can know him, and and through that we can find true and lasting joy. If you have not placed your faith in him, if you have not placed your fear in the Lord, I would urge you to to do that today, to do it soon, because you never know when that day will come where you will leave this life and enter eternity. That's my hope for us, for the believers, to pursue everything with God in the center, and for you non-believers to fear the Lord first, because it's through fearing Him you'll begin to truly understand knowledge and wisdom. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this word, allowing us to know how vain pursuits of these things in life is without you. Lord, it is very tempting for us, who even are your children, to to misprioritize our affections. May you forgive us, Lord, for the things that, these momentary sins where we place something else above you. You show us grace and mercy so that we can repent of those things and place you where you belong. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we ask that you always be that way in our hearts, that there's nothing in this life that will topple you. Lord, I pray for those that are here that do not know you. I pray, Lord, that you can soften their heart, give them the fear that is rightfully um, meant for us, knowing that we've sinned against you. Lord, may you give them grace so they can turn from their sin and place their faith in you. Lord, we pray for just today and this week that you give us opportunities to to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us uh, opportunity with our neighbors, with our friends and family, um, even strangers who do not know you, Lord. Allow us to point to them that their life of pursuits is meaningless without you, Lord. And thank you for this time that we have to study your word and to meditate upon your truth. May it grip our hearts and conform us to the image of your Son. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.